for a movie podcast for The Commutor. My name is Chick. I am here with Christian Moltansky. Actually, Emily. No, Dingus, say I'm Prin. Oh, uh, well, I am not Prin, so... Uh, only and with the commuter tagline, Kelly Wand. It's paced like Rush Hour, but not the movie Rush Hour. Uh-oh. All right, you want to back up? <laughs> yeah, let's hear more. <laughs> it's like nonstop, but with lots of stops. Oh, that's cute. That's it. That's, yeah, that's cute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I ran out. <laughs> All right, well, Dingus, let's hear a little bit about what we saw this week. But don't spoil it because we might have listeners who are like, I I haven't seen it yet. I don't want plot points given away. That's not why I'm listening. What would you tell those people, Dingus? I would tell these people, those people, that this week we saw The Commutor, Hmm? as you say, a 2018 American action crime drama thriller movie Mm -hmm. about the enduring power of newspapers. (laughs) It was directed by – um, call it Sarah. I think it's Jom, actually. And written by Byron Willinger, Philip de Blasi, and Ryan Engel. It stars Liam Neeson, Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, and Jonathan Banks. The Commutor is rated PG-13 hmm? for some intense action-slash-violence. What? And... Language. Yep. Kelly Wan, do you feel that there should be more ratings disclaimers that parents should know about? Uh, I give it a soft G. <laughs> Why soft? Nothing happened, but I saw it in German, so I didn't notice any bad language. So all right. You're going to watch a German diversion where you don't understand the language, then you should get a lower rating because you don't know the, the, the profanity. Seems well, I wonder if that was maybe an issue with critics because they, they didn't love it. Rotten Tomatoes, 55% of the reviews are positive. Not enough swearing, they said. Well, 45% of it did have some complaints. We don't know quite what they were. On I'm Metacritic, sorry, those the numbers? Ab- it was really busy there. What about that, Kelly Wand? What were the numbers? Uh, 55 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's the only one so far. But here's a second number for you. Metacritic, it's at 56. <sighs> Sammy Hagar hates that first number. <laughs> wow. Uh, speaking of hating it, on CinemaScore, everybody was like, eh, B. It's pretty low. <laughs> Is that what Cinema it says on, on the site? Eh, That's the subtext for any movie that gets a, gets a B. Uh, a Bad Mom's <laughs> Christmas. That's a movie that got a B. Wow. Yeah. Uh, however, it Perfect. did open at number three, so it's got that going for it. Uh, it was beat by Jumanji and The Post. But it opened at number three, uh, and it made $13 million on its opening weekend. Now, Kelly Wand, this is a very finely crafted script. There's a lot of plot points, a lot of red herrings, a lot of things that are happening, stuff maybe you should notice and pay attention to. It's very Hitchcockian. So, Kelly Wand, maybe you could uh, break down the plot in simpler terms uh, with your own, oh, say, synopsis of The Commuter. Hitchcockian. <laughs> um, what should such a thing be called, Tom, in your world? In my world, Kelly Wand, it would be the commutropsis. <laughs> I like when you transpose things like that. 
Um, but yeah. Okay. I can help you. Okay. The com would you say commutropsis? Of course. The commutropsis. Yeah. Co-written by Tom, the title part. <laughs> so warning. I get a co-writer credit. Oh, wait, warning. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that was the tribute to you, and then it's followed up by some by some warning labels. Okay. The commutropsis. Warning, the following is based on a screening I saw dubbed in German on lame-ass Hamburg weed. Minor plot details on all scenes set on a train might be wrong. Listening is ill-advised. There's a montage of Liam Neeson waking up a bunch of times and yawning and putting on different shirts while sad piano music plays. (laughs) Finally, his wife saw, would you stop hitting snooze and go to work already? Jesus. (laughs) Oh, what a first day of work today will be. Huh, Gladys? Gladys? Glad? She yawns sleepily, smiles, and goes, glad I wasn't in the gray, and goes back to sleep. Liam oh, Neeson shoots boo. her in boo. <laughs> This is a hostile audience. <laughs> <laughs> Liam Neeson shoots her in a grieved scowl, then goes into the kitchen and says to some 26-year-old eating cereal. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Liam Jr., how's high school going? The kid smirks and throws a copy of Lord of the Flies to the counter. Liam scowls again, then goes into the bedroom and yells, Hey, wake up. Forgot to tell you, I failed my driver's test. You have to drive me to the train station. (laughs) Also, are you Perkins or McGovern? Which one was Wilma Flintstone? We cut to them in the car, pulling up to a train station three miserable hours later. (laughs) So that's what I was trying to say in Battleship, although my actual dialogue was something about a chicken burrito. (laughs) She's all, yeah, I wasn't listening. Oh, and I want a divorce. She tries to twist off her wedding ring, but only manages to turn it backwards. He's all, ha. What a fun way to wear a ring. Here, I'll do it too. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till the boys in the office watch me try to sign my name like this. <laughs> Eventually, he exits the vehicle. Later, in his boss's office. And then George was all, what are you, high? They don't use the force to turn them on. There's just a switch here on the side. <laughs> Also, little known fact, Jar Jar wasn't CG, just Harrison. His boss sighs at him, then slides a folder across the desk. The cover says United World Insurance. The boss is all. Yeah, Liam, I've uh, reviewed your work here. Yeah, it kept me up all night. I only hope my being here at United World Insurance feels as exciting for me as it is for you. (laughs) Yeah, um... The folder's empty, um, except for some doodles of butts and George Lucas's beard. Um, also, this is State Farm, so you're fired. But Dan, I went to sixth grade for five years. Five years! <laughs> See, I know a little German. Eventually, the conversation winds down, so Liam decides to stick with his original plan of going to a bar for a liquid lunch. His friend Bob Odenkirk parks it on the bar school deck. <laughs> <next to> the- <laughs> what? 
Wow. Wow. I love Greg. <laughs> Liam set down his coat. Sits on the bar stool where Liam set his coat down and goes, Hey, man, I just farted on your coat here. Damn it. Sounds like the kind of day I'm having. Why did I leave acting to go into insurance? <laughs> Idiot. There's no money in death. Odenkirk saw, uh, I think I'm a cop in this. <laughs> Odenkirk, I can't believe that now I'll never be able to unsee that. <laughs> I don't know who people are. <laughs> uh, I think I'm a cop in this. Oh, hey, maybe I could join the force like I did in Phantom Menace. <laughs> you? I don't think so. Sam Neill walks in and sits at a table off screen with some extras. <laughs> sniffing Liam's coat on the way and smirking after he sits down. <laughs> Odenkirk's all. Oh, shit. There's Captain Pants. Oh, man. This may be his only scene in this, but I say it's Sam Neill's best work since Jurassic 3. Hey, bartender, turn that TV volume up. And in exposition news, Liam Neeson's boss just committed suicide at his desk by slashing his throat open with an empty folder. His note said only, tell my kids never to hire Liam Neeson for insurance work. A note that he left inside the folder. Odenkirk pats Liam on the face and goes, tough break, Punch. Liam walks outside and around in circles till his phone rings. He's all, what? <laughs> hey, it's me, Mrs. Neeson. Um, hey, I just want to say, don't forget to pick up a loaf of milk and also Billy's heart medicine or he'll die, especially if you come home late. <laughs> How was <it> work? <laughs> How was work, baby? The girls at the beauty salon told me how their husbands all got promoted today at their insurance companies. How are you doing? Yeah, great. I gotta go. He hangs up on her, then I guess throws his phone away off screen because he doesn't have to. <laughs> at the train station, a black person bumps into him and runs off giggling. Hey, what the? Oh, you better not have spit gum on my shirt. He checks his shirt. Luckily, there's nothing there. He smirks victoriously. <laughs> he gets on the train and it starts moving. The ticket guy starts coming up the aisle, punching holes in everybody's tickets. Liam's all, oh, fuck, I forgot to buy a ticket. I'm an idiot. Wait a minute. He finds a two-year-old parking stub in his pocket. Oh, yeah. I'll just tell him this is my ticket. Idiots. These ain't the droids looking for. <laughs> well, in this case, he, he is looking, so... He smirks, but the guy loses interest in his job and never even approaches him. Liam sits in his seat, fidgets, grows bored, then gets up and moseys to first class. He sets his coat down on the seat across from him, sits down, then leans over and farts cheerfully. He's all, ah, oh, yeah. Suddenly he notices Marcy Marlene standing by him, trying not to inhale. <laughs> See, I got someone right, Dingus. Yeah. She's all, your jacket's on my seat. He's all, ah! Grudgingly, moves his coat so she can sit across from him. She sits, then sniffs. Did you fart in this seat, too? No, that's from my coat. Odenkirk. <laughs> he suddenly finds her boring, so he takes out a book, Farewell to Arbs, and holds it upside down, pretending to read. <laughs> She's all, ah, Steinbeck. No, my name in this is Liam. 
<laughs> By the way, I'm evil. Also, I left a $100 bill clipped to a stack of ones in the bathroom. Bye. You <laughs> know, a little German. What's his name? The train stops. She gets off. He's all, hmm. He somehow figures out which bathroom she meant, locks himself in, and reaches his hand into the toilet bowl. It gets stuck in the hole. He struggles. In the struggle, he accidentally flushes it with his nose. Spraying himself in the face with water and poo. He screams. I lean over to Steven Seagal, taking up the three seats beside me. <laughs> and go. <laughs> Looks like this movie's edging into pretty dark territory. <laughs> he tries to say something through the Botox. A conductor knocks on the door. Sir, is everything okay in there? Liam's all, it's okay, I'm, I'm a fired insurance salesman. <laughs> uh, yeah, sir, there's, there's, there's poo and toilet water spilling out here under the crack. If you could just open up. Um... Liam pretends he's dead until the conductor loses interest and leaves. Suddenly, <laughs> Liam notices there's a stinky wind blowing through a radiator grill in the bathroom's wall. He uses his lightsaber screwdriver attachment to twist off the panel, then paws out a small stack of money. Oh, fuck yeah. Looks like they should have called this movie Cha-Ching. <laughs> he puts the money in his purse, then walks out whistling till a sinister black girl in a hat's all. Here. She gives him an envelope and the train stops and lets her out. <laughs> He opens the envelope. A ring falls out. He looks at it and grins. Yes! More treasures for Liam! <laughs> oh, my precious. <laughs> Looks like things are looking up for the L-Dog. By the way, he has a friend on the train sitting in a nearby seat that he's barely talked to for some reason. The, fr the friend's phone rings. Liam's all, that's probably for me. He grabs it and goes, Neeson, hello. Marcy Marlene's all, hey, it's the blonde woman. Who? Um, we just talked. I told you about the money. You told me you farted on your coat. No, that was Oderkirk. O-D. Look, we kidnapped your wife. That's her ring, idiot. Karen! No! I mean, Gladys, which one was it about last night? Okay, look, I don't have any money. In fact, uh, that bathroom was empty. <laughs> so I guess uh, tell her I love her and uh, do what you want. Uh, actually, maybe love's a strong word. I liked her in uh, Flintstones. She was the voice of Dino. Marlene's all, we need you to wander up and down the train until you find someone named Prin. They'll be getting off at a stop called Cold Stain. Good luck. Or should I say your wife will die if you don't? He's all, speaking of which, would you be interested in buying some insurance? There's a click. Hello? Was that a yes? Hello? Hello? Damn it. Okay, think, Liam, think. How did you trick the gray? Hmm. Ah. <laughs> he starts tying his underwear into a poorly made rope, then suddenly sees Mike Ehrmantraut sitting at a nearby table, hoping Liam doesn't see him. I think the guy who plays him is named Bob Eubanks. Liam comes over and goes, hey, tsk. Eubanks is all, great, there goes my appetite. Uh, you should take your underwear off first if you're going to make a rope out of it. Liam's all, big fan, by the way. If you ask me, better call Saul's the new aftermash. 
Uh, Odenkirk farted on my coat earlier. Wait, you're both cops in this? Maybe I should tell you about my wife's kidnapping. No, wait, I got a better idea. Eubanks scowls at him as he grabs Eubanks' newspaper, takes out his lipstick, opens the newspaper, and writes, Ring an envelope. Wife, what is number for cops again? (laughs) Eubanks scowls at him some more. Then goes, Would you mind not writing on my newspaper, Walter? Liv slides the newspaper over to him and goes, Here, read this once you get off the train. My writing is the stuff that's not typed. He makes Eubanks get off at the next stop. The train stays stopped long enough for Liam to watch through the window as Eubanks walks out three blocks, opens the newspaper, and is apparently so distracted by Liam's words as he crosses the street that a bus hits and kills him. Liam's all, damn it! Okay, fine, I'll just do whatever the kidnappers want, and if that fails, remarry. He finds some words on a wall of the tray that say, Coldstain, $367. He's all, hmm. Behind him, a vaguely hot blonde girl's all, Hey, taken guy, you mind not blocking my way to the can? Liam stands up, looks at her, and then goes, You might want to wait a while. I had a few mishaps in there, although I was well compensated. You kidnapped my wife. What's in that purse? Give it over. (laughs) She screams and sprays Banaka in his eyes. It has no effect, so he unzips her purse and a bunch of white cards spray everywhere. She's all, my business cards. Oh, you're a business owner. My bad. Yep. These all say Debbie Condress, unemployed. I guess if you were a kidnapper, they would say so. Here, I spilled them everywhere. Oh, it's cool. I like picking stuff up. I'm Debbie. I'm troubled but sympathetic. But Liam's already walking away. After Liam somehow manages to lose the money to some wind by goofing around under the train... He decides to try. <laughs> no, John Landis directed this. <laughs> he decides to try and win a bit of it back by sitting next to his friend and a Trump voter and making them play cards with him. <laughs> The guy deals out two cards to everybody. Liam's all, ha, blackjack, bitches. You've just been decent. He starts to pick up the money. His friend's all, um, we're playing Hold'em? He deals a face-down card. Liam's all, oh, uh. He looks at the beardy Trump voter and goes, uh, I read for Leprechaun, but they said I didn't sound Irish enough. Eventually, he loses, and since he only ever plays one hand of anything, wanders off to another train car with strangely only one person in it. A black guy with a guitar. <laughs> Liam's all, hmm, the last black two people I met were evil. <laughs> the black guy's all, I can hear you. <laughs> eh, oh, sorry, people from shithole countries make me jumpy. Uh, nice guitar, by the way. The black guy tries to murder him with the guitar and then throw him out the window, but Liam tricks him by breaking the guitar and throwing him out the window. (laughs) A passing train purees the guitarist, but since the movie's PG-13, we don't get to see it. Sorry, 12-year-olds, you're only old enough to watch scenes of bewildering exposition. Keep dreaming. (laughs) That's what we've decided is your entertainment. (laughs) Ha ha, we're old. Liam somehow acquires a pistol and starts walking around the train asking everyone he sees, hey, is your name Prin? He keeps doing this until eventually he finds an ethnic girl wearing earbuds, ignoring him and reading Scarlet Letter. He points his gun at her and goes, ah, Steinbeck. Hey, are you Prin by any chance? 
She's all, no. A conductor walks up and goes, hey, Liam, uh, was that you monkeying around under the train earlier? Because I think you broke something and now the brakes don't work. <laughs> Thanks, dude. The ethnic girl's all. By the way, I was kidding before I am Prin. That's why I was reading a book about a protagonist who shared my first name. Tom sitting beside her reading Uncle Tom's Cabins all. You do that too? <laughs> a black lady nursing a baby a few seats down's all. Shut up, fool! <laughs> Tom pats the ethnic chick. Shit, they really hate you. Must suck. Conductor <laughs> looks at Liam and goes, Ordinarily, ensuring the safety of the passengers being my job, I'd try to do something about the train being out of control. But hey, you just waved a gun in my face. Maybe you should tamper more with those controls. Huh? Liam's all, Damn it, man! I'm a commuter! This turns out to be not just excuse, but a war cry. He kisses himself, holds his breath, and jumps onto the next train car, although on the second try because the glass door is closed and in his way. As he courageously crouches and fucks around with the hook joining the train cars, he yells at the conductor, Get all those idiot civilians besides me into the first six cars now! <laughs> the guy's all, but, and waits for a while. <laughs> Liam's finally all, I said me! Liam leans down and fucks with the metal hook. On a train platform, two black guys in suits watch him passively as the train rockets past them. <laughs> One's all, huh. Liam tricks the train car hook by breaking it, then jumping back onto the other train car, severely injuring the conductor. <laughs> Liam gets up, brushes dirt onto himself, and smirks triumphantly through the doorway as the other train cars derail and smash into each other. He tousles the conductor's bald head and goes, good thing I told you to get the passengers into these last six cars. The conductor's all, you said first six. Liam frowns. Oh. They watch as the scream-filled train cars explode one by one, then start sliding over a cliff. Liam's all, well, still to st- <laughs> Fucking words. Well, still to st- st- <laughs> Well, still statistically the safest way to travel. <laughs> that was worth it. Unless I'm on. <laughs> he turns around to the other couple survivors, and the single remaining train car now stops sideways on the tracks and goes, Okay, good work, team. Now everybody hurry and start taping newspapers over all these windows before the pigs get here. <laughs> An old woman's all, Wait, what? The train stopped. Why can't we just get off? Why would we help you? He sighs, draws his gun, and again goes, okay, look, Granny, I need you as hostages. I've got one cop friend, Bob Odenkirk, but smell what he did to my coat. They take turns smelling the coat, simultaneously sigh, and start glumly putting newspapers over all the windows. As Liam unfolds one sheet, he says it's marked with the words he wrote to Eubanks. He's all, oh, damn, I guess I gave him back the wrong page. You died for nothing, old friend. He papers over it with a page that says Christ declared savior of Monster Island. Long story. Outside, a bunch of cop cars pull up as snipers inch forward on rooftops, squinting through scopes. Odenkirk walks up and knocks on the train car door. Yeah, Liam, it's Bob. Um, 
Hey, can I borrow your coat for a second? I had beans for lunch. <laughs> JK, come on, buddy. Derailing trains and taking hostages isn't the answer to unemployment. You don't know that! Crouched by a nearby cop car, Sam Neill raises a bullhorn and goes, Liam, please, at least send out all the extras who don't have dialogue. Reluctantly, <laughs> <laughs> Liam opens the door and a bunch of nobodies walk out of the train. A gunshot rings out and an old lady near the back drops with a scream. Sam Neill's all, guys, hold your fire, please. It's the hostages. Batons only. Liam mistakes the ethnic girl's Walkman for a bullhorn and shouts at it, Okay, unless you pigs want to see more old brains sprayed conveniently all over this newspaper, let Odenkirk come in. He's the only man I trust. Odenkirk enters the train and shuts the door behind him. He's all, Okay, look, Liam, we're not pressing charges against you. You've been great. We're only here to arrest someone named Prin. The ethnic girl's all, I'm Prin. Demi Moore's all, I'm Prin. And astronaut's all, I'm Prin, the old man from Jaws with the aviator cap and moobs that Brody was scoping out emerging from the water is all, fuck you guys, I'm Prin. The train's all, I'm Prin. A German couple stand up at the theater a couple rows in front of me and go, via Prin. <laughs> to be funny, the conductor refuses to join in the fun. <laughs> He's a rebel. Odenkirk pulls out his gun and goes, by the way, I'm a traitor. Liam smirks and goes, I had a hunch. Look in your pocket. Puzzled, Odenkirk reaches into his shirt pocket and pulls out a small black object. He's all, what? 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 What's this? Liam's all, my hearing aid. Officers, now! The snipers outside all shoot Odenkirk, although we don't get to see it because a 12-year-old might have snuck in just to see this one scene. <laughs> To celebrate crashing the train, killing his friend, and losing his wife, Liam sits on an ambulance fender while a nurse removes a spig mammometer from his arm and goes, Sir, we have some people here who are actually injured. Would you please stop stealing our equipment? Sam Neill comes over and gives Liam a brotherly pat on the ass. Great work in there, Liam. None of us ever liked Odenkirk or that stupid train. He walks off as Liam rolls his eyes. A cop drags Liam's wife over to him and goes, hey, here's your dumb wife. Turns out she wasn't kidnapped after all. She just accidentally mailed you her wedding ring when she was at the post office and uh, tripped over a bunch of envelopes. <laughs> Mrs. Neeson reluctantly accepts Liam's kiss and goes, so how was work? Some words are all 30 years later. <laughs> Marcy Marlene gets on a train and sits down, then opens a copy of Fifty Shades to the Middle and starts pretending to read. <laughs> Is all. Ah, Steinbeck. <laughs> Liam sits across from her. He offers her a badge that he stole from one of the cops at the train wreck. <laughs> then he's all. Looks like you've just been commuted. <laughs> she smiles cheerfully in defeat. Some words tell me who taught Liam how to play cards. The end. Kelly, I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not. I don't recall hearing your Liam Neeson before. That was really? that was awesome. I don't. Yeah. At least not for a whole synopsis. Maybe that was great. It's just John Houston, like an Irish John Houston, a little bit. Man, that was awesome. I feel like I was watching the movie all over again. Well, and I didn't even get to hear that voice because I saw it in German, so I just had to pretend it was him saying these things. All right. Well, Kelly, on later, if you have any questions about the plot, maybe Ding. Nah, I got it. Saw it in English. All right. All right. Sure. Uh, well, Dingus, do you want to go first? What is a, an over and an under 
Um, what did you think of The Commuter? All right, I would put as an over uh, a movie called Source Code, uh, mm. which was a train movie uh, that I quite liked, but had some problems. Uh, under, I would put the movie that this movie kept reminding me of because of how the phone would ring, and that would be Unknown. Uh, and that's another uh, John Kalat Sarah movie. Um, I I was so I was so into this movie in the first few minutes. I really I really was excited about the intro to it. I really liked the way it was edited. The opening really excited me. That whole sequence that uh, you know where he's waking up and this this whole way that it builds up to the the commuter thing. I was like, you totally got me here. I, I really, I really liked that. I was really into it. And then it just totally falls apart and just becomes a dopey. It becomes increasingly so dumb that I, I just can't believe how dumb it is. And, uh, and all I could do as the movie went on was think, I can't wait to hear the synopsis. Uh, because you know, if, if, I mean, by the time you get to the end, if, if, if these people are so powerful that they're, that they're willing to derail a train. Why don't just do that at the beginning, you guys? Come on. <laughs> and, and it, you know, if they're willing to derail a train, what good is putting newspapers over the... They'll, they'll just yeah. bomb the train. Just, just, it's like the luggage in World War Z. Where they it's just... Red pits all. Keep the zombies it, out with this. It's just incredibly dumb, and it's it reminds me of Tom's rule about the reef, or I think it's the reef. Or maybe it's the shark movie in a grocery store, wherever, whatever movie could end in five minutes easily. There, there's no reason why, if these people are this powerful, they won't just derail the entire train and kill everybody on board if it's that important, rather than tracking down this one girl with a thumb drive or whatever the freak her stupid MacGuffin is. So, yeah, I hated this thing. Uh, but I was so excited at the beginning. I was so excited. I was, oh, I was so, I, I was so hopeful. Uh, uh, my over is also source code because my category is uh, dumb movies about people on a train that may or may not have Vera Farmiga in them. <laughs> so my over is source code, which does have Vera oh, Farmiga. Yeah. It also, very similarly, she's kind of the 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 mastermind of what's going on in source code as well, in a different, in a very different regard. She's uh, benign. She, yeah, yeah, she's benign, and actually, ultimately, uh, the good guy. Um, yeah. So – and I didn't care for Source Code that much, especially uh, – I, I think if I had come to Source Code as something other than the, the director of Moon's second movie, because uh, I enjoyed this for the dumb movie that it was. And Dingus, I'm with you. That early montage, that was brilliant. That's a great way to do exposition for a family instead of just clumping into one dumb scene of domestic life. Where the husband – where you're sort of seeing this functional family going about their day. Like what a great way to show uh, these characters over the, the days and weeks and months. Uh, I loved that, that, that little bit. Um, but the whole movie is a progression from smart to really, really, really dumb, which I also kind of felt about Source Code, by the way. So uh, I actually put them pretty close. Um, wasn't crazy about Source Code, but I didn't hate this, Dingus. I, I, I did enjoy this. Uh, Jean Collet Serrat is nothing if not a competent filmmaker, uh, and there is some good, fun early stuff in this before it literally <laughs> derails. Uh, my under, uh, and again, the category is dumb movies about people on a train that may or may not have Vera Farmiga in them. My under 
is a movie about a train that gets that fights werewolves. Uh, and the movie is called Howl. Uh, no one famous is in it. It's a super low budget British movie. Uh, and the train, in order for the werewolves to fight it, because um, what else are you going to do? The train has to like break down in the middle of the woods. So it's the train stopped, and a werewolf starts attacking it. Uh, and the people in the train have to fight the werewolf. And uh, you get a movie called Howl. Which is really, really stupid. Howell is just dumb, D U M, dumb. Uh, Howell does have one moment in it, though, where I, I think Kelly Wan would appreciate it, uh, where the werewolf, you're like, well, why doesn't the werewolf just go in there and kill everyone? This is a stupid movie because the werewolf, like, pick off some stray person and then it'll terrorize them, like, by, like banging into the side of the, the subway and just making scary noises. And you're like, just go in there and kill everyone, you stupid werewolf. Because that's the thing about monster movies, Dingus, that you're referring to, too. Why isn't this movie over in five minutes? There's six people in that train. Get in there, werewolf, and, and kill them all. Well, the werewolf in Howl has this idea. He's on the same wavelength as me. He eventually goes in the train, and everybody just like wails the hell out of him and just kills him. It's like this stupid like, – it's like, oh, that's why he didn't go in there because by this time they've got axes and fire extinguishers and stuff. But the werewolf gets killed. He just wanders in. He's trying to attack them, and it's like, whoop, that didn't work out. Who knew that taking on six people with weapons wasn't such a bright idea after all? So Howell's got that going for it, but nothing else really. Um, all right, so uh, this is better than Howl for me. Kelly Wong, what? Yes? There's a novel called Wolf's Hour by this guy, Robert McCammon, who wrote, like, kind of grocery store horror. Mm-hmm. And in that, like, it was a werewolf, and he was a, he was the good guy, and he was a spy in World War II. And he, like, has to get on this death train at one point. That sounds Nazis awesome. Had. Yeah, and it's really good. So it's like werewolf versus train again, but you're on the werewolf side. Well, the problem with this movie, with a, a low-budget movie like Howl, uh, I don't think they ever were able to shoot on a moving train. Uh, like you can tell the shots where the train uh, is moving. Need that. It's just in a dark room. Like there's no scenery you can see outside. You need a budget. And, in, and a good example of how to do a goofy you know, werewolf or insert monster here on a train. There's a Korean movie called Train to Busan, which is a zombie apocalypse movie set on a train. And they've got the budget to really do cool stuff with a train and broad daylight and zombies swarming all over it. Uh, but I like Train to Busan a lot more than, than Source Code or this or Howl. So uh, that would not fit in my category. Um, well, we all right, so Kelly about- Wong, what's something better than and not quite as good as The Commuter? Uh... My category was ordinary guy on train who gets involved in murders and stuff. And so my over was Silver Streak, ah, <laughs> which, right. which I really liked as a kid. Yeah. Um, and it becomes a runaway train, too. Um, but there was a lot of there was this running gag where he kept getting thrown off the train and have to he had to figure ways out to get back. Right. I remember that. Yeah. Like hiring a crop dusting airplane. And stuff. yeah. Yeah. And every time it kept happening, he goes, son of a bitch. That was his catchphrase. And then you have to walk after it and figure out something. Right. But, uh, and then that was the first Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder, T-Bot movie. But, and that's know. better than The Commuter, you're saying? Yeah, it's way better than The Commuter. Okay. What's something that's not quite as good as The Commuter? And he's set up really well in that as, as an everyman. While as in The Commuter, like, Neeson's not – I don't know. There's an art to making a guy seem like he's he's the wrong man and the wrong. I forget how, because in nonstop he was a cop. I thought 
So in this, he's not even that. So it should be... He's an ex-cop. Oh, is he? Okay. See, I saw this in German, so nothing I say should oh. matter. Well, one, of the, one of the important points is that he's an ex-cop. Right. And that's why he can and do Owen, certain Owen things, knows. and he has a certain set of skills, but they're retired skills. So he has to shake the rust off and remember who he is. Right. Anyway... So he, does, and he also does appear weary, and he 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 says, "I don't know if you could tell this in German." He says, "I'm I'm 60 years old. What am I gonna do?" He's a he's a cop who transitioned from the force because it's corrupt, and then he goes on to be an insurance salesman because that's much more lucrative. Oh, he get, he does it for the money, or because he has a family with a house he needs to. Well, that's part of it, yeah. Not, but he's not a disgraced cop who quit the force or was torched by Sam Neill. Or something. I couldn't figure out the Sam Neill part. Well, before we get – tell us real quick what's a movie that's not quite as good yeah, as this. Because I want to talk oh, about okay, Liam right. Neeson and this whole character motivation thing. Okay, so Ordinary Guy on Train gets involved in Murder Minder as uh, Polar Express, which I thought was <laughs> – Tom Hanks' Christmas thing? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Hanks carved out of butter. <laughs> yeah. All right, that was worth waiting for. Good, Kelly Wand. I like that. So, so know, this is I, one of the things that bothers me about this kind of everyman movie. Uh, well, not that bothers me about this specific instance of the everyman movie. Uh, suddenly, fight. I, I I really liked early on uh, finding out. Uh, ha ha! He's just an insurance salesman. Like that was great. That was that was kind of funny for me because right. you know he's not a super secret agent or anything. I, I liked that a lot. And uh, you know, then he gets fired. And they're like, "Oh, okay, well, this is interesting." It's kind of like um, this movie, something wild with Jeff Daniels, where he meets Melanie Griffiths on like one of the worst days of his life, and she convinces him to do crazy. Or into things. the night, yeah, into the night with Jeff Goldblum and Michelle Pfeiffer. It's like that kind of thing. It's like, okay, well, either the movie's putting him in a situation where you know he, the, the the stakes are he's, the stakes are completely different for him now. You know, he's in dire straits. But I kind of realized watching the movie, it only did that. I mean, why can't someone just want $100,000? Like, why does it always have to be for a cause or because you're fired? Why does it always have to appeal to the common man's economic anxiety? Because everybody understands, hey, I I want $100,000. And that kind of – I mean, I understand why they didn't do that here, but because I think this movie thinks – that by the time it's over, it's making a really important point about yes, people are noble because that whole stupid <laughs> yeah. catchphrase. You, I don't know if you caught all this, Kelly Wan, but that's how we know Patrick Wilson is a bad guy. Is his catchphrase is to explain nobody's noble, don't be noble, and then at the very end, everybody's noble because everybody stands up and says, "I'm Prin, I'm Prin, I'm Prin." Like that represents right. all the common men being noble, except of course. The comic relief and then the Goldman Sachs guy who had to get off the train. But I think the movie thinks it's making this cool point about everybody's noble. So naturally it doesn't want a movie where, hey, I'll take $100,000. That sounds awesome is the main character's motivation. Uh, So as the movie went on, just this idea that he was fired just felt really cheap. Um, I hate that. I hate that everyone – is noble in a movie like this. Like I think it should be because then it, the, then the hero is getting off too easy. Like it should be, it's him against. He has to do everything. He has to figure it out. And like in North by Northwest, if everyone had gone, hey, wait, I'm Cary right. Grant's friend. I'm Cary Grant. It would have right. sucked. It would have been terrible. Well, and I, I think really that's where that that's a lot of the ways where these Hitchcockian movies, these attempts at Hitchcockian plots, go wrong. 
uh, is they just don't have Hitchcock's nuance or sense of character or his way to appeal to an everyman with an incredibly handsome guy like Cary Grant. Like that, that's quite an accomplishment. Uh, it takes really good writing. Um, but so. like you said, the money thing too. Like in Silent Partner, Elliot Gould's ripping off right bank robbers, and we don't and Silent Partner, Kelly Wan. That that's seventies cinema. You could do that back then. Right. Yeah, I miss that. But why can't we still do that? I just it's well, the, it's very tedious to me. That well, we the have difference is between it. greed and need. I mean, that that's we we don't like you always to need see, it. We, we we don't like to see somebody who just wants one hundred thousand dollars for greed. Purposes. You know what? He's a family but, man. But, but he's a family man, so it's need. It's greed versus right. need, and you we know, will side with somebody who needs it because his kid has to go to college and he's got two mortgages. But if somebody just wants it, that's just greed. Right. But here's the thing, though: if he got the money, we're assuming. Well, you know what it makes me think of. Dingus, put it to I, I remember we had a, a disagreement about this. Is I really admired in Spider-Man: Homecoming that Michael Keaton's character. Uh, and I think this is where we disagreed. To me, he wasn't necessarily a bad guy because he wasn't the type of villain who wanted mm. to conquer anything. He was just a guy who wanted to provide for his family. And I right. saw that as incredibly sympathetic, whereas I think you and maybe some other people who thought he was a more conventional villain thought, you know, he's already got a nice house. He's being greedy. And I just thought, no, he's just a guy who really wants to provide good stuff for his family. I really liked that motivation there. But it's noting, it's worth noting, of course, he is the villain in the movie. Um mm. So you yeah. can't very well have that be Liam Neeson. Like Liam Neeson's providing for his family. You can't think, you know, if he sees the thousand dollars, well, now I could send my son to a very different school. You know, we won't have to get a student loan. Uh, now we could pay off that second mortgage. Uh, and and really, what I'm asking for is just better writing of characters and not just yeah. kind of thriller placeholders, which is really what this is. Because it's kind of a joke. The January Liam Neeson release, you know, and with yeah, like doing them. Yeah, I mean these are these are pot boilers, exactly. Uh so but they I guess could still I, be good. That's like not an excuse to let it off the hook. Um, I, I don't because it's coming out in January. I don't know, Kelly yeah. Wan, that it's a matter of being good as a matter of just really wanting to appeal to a low, easy common denominator. Uh, that's not that's not good enough for me. Right. I, no, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Because uh, you should yeah. be elevating the common den- Like they'll like that anyway. That's the thing. If they if if he just wants hundred thousand dollars, like he said, the average Joe in the audience. No, I don't think they would. I don't think they would. I, I, they they would rather. It's it's much more sympathetic to have a character whose grandmother needs an operation. Do they really think that? Like the audience, though. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, because the, once you get in the territory, like Dingus is saying, once you get in the territory where it can be construed as greed, uh, you start getting into anti-hero territory, and that's a very specific kind of movie. These are like studio. Uh, I mean, these, these are just products that are being put out every January. It's almost like a franchise. Um, I mean, we want the same thing, Kelly Wand. It's just I kind of understand the economic wisdom of the studio just playing it boringly, conventionally safe uh, and making him – you know, There's yeah, still got to be a way. Well, yeah, I, and I do think too it is uh, – economic anxiety is a, a valid concern, and I, I like seeing that right. in heroes. Uh, you know, like losing your job. Like I kind of like, even though it's such a, a a shameless pandering applause line, that whole and I've got a message from Middle America. Fuck you. You know that that's where they use their f bomb. Oh Jesus, uh, yeah. I mean, it's so pandering, but I can understand it, and I can sort of appreciate. Yeah, this is the way to to appeal to the people in the cheap seats who just. In want all to, fairness, you know, the, I the I saw it with the German audience, and it was packed house. 
I'll, and they actually did seem to like it and respond to it. And I was kind of like, uh, it's a crowd pleaser. Just, yeah, it's a yeah. crowd pleaser. And you can't have a crowd pleaser where a guy wants $100,000 just because it's $100,000. Yeah, but I right. thought, not knowing the dialogue, it did seem like kind of a boring, predictable movie to me. Like everything felt very telegraphed just from the body language and the soundtrack. You like, know, that's what certainly- I had to go on. And I could still, I don't think I would have liked it much more if I had known. If I could have heard the performance. So, Dingus, you guys are always much smarter than me in terms of predicting things. Uh, was, did this seem predictable to you, Dingus? Or because I think we all agree it gets increasingly dumb. But before it's super dumb, uh, Dingus, did you kind of know where it was going? Was there any sort of sense of unpredictability or thrill for it for you? There was no th- thrill for it. I don't know that I would say. That. I mean, when you have that scene in the bar with Patrick Wilson and Sam Neill, you know one of the one of those two guys is the bad guy. I right. mean, you know that. And you I almost mean, even know that, oh, they want me to think Sam Neill's the bad guy, so it's probably Patrick Wilson. Like, right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, well, I, and in fact, well, uh, Chris Markinson even says that. He says, I guess uh, Kalsar was worried about his audience and felt the need to make two references to Patrick, Patrick Wilson's comment about good guys and loyalty so that you knew he, he was one of the bad guys. Right. Because right. right. there's no dramatic – anything if it's Sam Neill. So in a way, it's even more telegraphed that it's Barry Coulson. Right, yeah. Because Sam Neill's just a face across the room. But but I did um, I did enjoy the bits, and I did find it kind of unpredictable and exciting. Just this idea of, hey, a mysterious, beautiful woman sits down and presents you with this hypothetical social situation. Mm-hmm. What do you do? And oh, by the way, suddenly it's not hypothetical. Like, I like that setup, and I like this idea that Hey, you've got until, you know, four stops later to find out some guy's name and what's in his bag. Like that setup, unfortunately, it's the easiest thing in the world to make an intriguing setup and then provide it with a dumb answer. The difficult thing would have been to to really make there be a payoff for that cool stuff. Because you're right, Dingus, I do not understand just just blow up the train or what this is the most ridiculous labyrinthine bad guy plot. To right. take out yeah. a witness. I mean, why, just, yeah. just hire a better lawyer for when the witness testifies yeah. in court. What you have going, assassins. Yeah, yeah. It's just so force. incredible. And when you realize that these intriguing questions are not going to have any intriguing answers or intriguing smart solutions, uh, just as the movie careens into its dumbness, uh, all that stuff, you just realize, well, there's not going to be any payoff. That was just – It didn't – I didn't but get it a also, It sets up a ticking clock that it doesn't – pay off right. she says oh yeah. four minutes okay four minutes and every four minutes something horrible should happen yeah i was right. a little i was a little lost on on that timeline is wait they're at the next stop shouldn't his wife be getting yeah, murdered no yeah. there, there should be something happening every four minutes because she said that right. i mean you can't you can't you can't wind that clock and not have something happen yeah, yeah. that's that's just that's just sloppy it didn't seem and to then we the don't even know either. when the we don't understand that this particular stop is the end of the line or why that matters or how how everybody why does why doesn't witness just get off whenever she feels like it I mean it's ridiculous I mean people can get off whenever they feel like it yeah. and then we have this one moment which is a terrible moment in the movie for me and the and the really the moment I was finally like all right I'm freaking done with because I was I was trying to hang on as long as i could because everything up until this point is with him we're with him with we're with him and all, all of a sudden we have these two guys standing on a train platform oh, yeah. going, uh, <laughs> let, let's look at our yeah. watches 
Uh, a little okay. waiting for Godot action on the, yeah. on the station platform. Uh, so as long as the witness gets here, we're okay. Yeah, we. Yeah, I guess we're okay as long as the witness gets. And then now we're back on the train. I mean, do you guys not understand what POV means or anything? Do, do, oh, jeez, I just got so upset about that. But mainly, it's that when she sets the four-minute time clock, every four minutes something should happen. Well, I do that. I do think of how that compares unfavorably to the setup in source code where that's such a great idea you know that whole yeah. groundhog day idea where you know there's always going to be that bomb and it's always how much can you get done before that bomb how much can you get done before the detonation yeah. goes off this time like source code was so good at playing with that ticking clock idea the uh that was kind of squandered here get the sense of that and i didn't yeah. get the sense of that in this yeah uh, uh play, I, like he's one car to the next car so Markinson wants to know what exactly was the purpose of the FBI guy on the train. Um, let's see. He and, and why wasn't why weren't they just guarding the witness outright? Like that's why. Like put an armed guard on the witness. Like tell her, hey, the FBI is coming to your house. Because then the take killer you. knows which one the witness is. Maybe. Like he blown her cover. Well, why don't they just put? Why don't the FBI drive some of their bulletproof black SUVs to pick her up? I, I guess I don't understand. Yeah, why should a train? <laughs> it, and that's that's why Markinson's question about the FBI agent, like, you know, there, there's already an FBI agent here on the tra- train, and so does Liam Neeson. Actually, he screws up and gets the FBI guy killed. Like, she's right when she says, "You got the FBI guy killed." Now, now you've really screwed up, right? Like he ruins the FBI. Like the FBI was going to put the GPS in the guy. I mean, it's hard to oh, tell. Oh yeah, 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 right, right. That's exactly. happening in any any of the interactions or fights in this. But yeah, the rules are vague. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And we don't see any signs that it's that that he's being. If the four minute, because I didn't even know there was a four minute rule, so that makes me rethink the whole plot now. She definitely is something like we. You better find out by next stop who Prin is. Like that's the setup is that, oh, he's got to find out. And then for whatever reason, he keeps getting extensions or maybe she just meant the end of the line and I didn't quite understand. Uh, maybe nope. uh, I love that you said extensions because uh, I think that's that's pretty much what this movie does. But she makes a point of saying, OK, so, so each stop is four minutes and however much. OK, got it. Well, you better get something done before that. <laughs> How does he get the wife back at the end? Um, it turns out that she just gets away. Well, no, no, she was uh, never kidnapped, right, Dingus? Well, oh, <laughs> was, so the opposite. Well, is that's true. not clear because I think that what Sam Neill says is we sent people over there or something. I don't know. Patrick Wilson says we sent people over there, but don't know what happened. And he hears like that's she lame. manages to hack to into the wife's phone or whatever. Like she hears through the wife's phone them presumably being apprehended by by someone. But which I guess the, maybe yeah. Which is maybe that was the actual FBI cell phone people. hack I've ever heard. I mean, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Nice directional mic on that cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's too easy. Because the wife should be indeed like she should die if he like that should be on his mind. And if it's if that's vaguely set up, that's kind of lame or even. Hmm. Well, yeah, like because that we're exactly yeah, and and the idea too is that they now. Expect that he is going to, you know, murder a sixteen-year-old girl wife. to save his wife, uh, right? So or, none of that's in for that. some sort of super secret organization. They're pretty incompetent. They're super dumb. Yeah, 
<laughs> and what's how come all their operatives are black people? That seems a little racist. <laughs> well, there's also black FBI guys, Kelly Wan, just so you know. Yeah. Those were FBI guys. Um, and there were some white operatives. I mean, it, it would seem like pretty multiracial. So. Yeah. All right, all right. You gotta love the left. Did you catch the left hand guitar, Kelly Wand? Did you catch that? I didn't yeah. understand that. Dingus explained that to me. I didn't get why he had a real guitar instead of an actual weapon. If that's his cover, it should be a, his only weapon too. You know what I mean? Like I thought there'd be something in the guitar he would whip out. So he has a left-handed guitar, and he's a right-handed dude. South right? Pop. Yeah. So as a right-handed dude, he wouldn't be playing a left-handed guitar. But oh, so not, the idea. Well, that, see, what's confusing to me then that would have worked for me, Dingus, if he hadn't have gotten the drop on Liam Neeson. Like it's not like Liam, like Liam Neeson is explaining this by the time the guy's holding the gun on him, saying I'm the assassin. For Liam Neeson to go, oh, I knew you were the assassin all along. I figured it out earlier. Like it, that, that's a little too late to be trying to demonstrate how clever you are about noticing right. the uh-huh. left hand right hand thing. You have a gun that's why it confused me. I think he said left handed guitar before the guy pulled the gun, though. Uh. So that led the guy to pull the gun. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, now you know who I am. You know that I'm the bad guy. Because he he shows him the guitar, and Liam Neeson like backs down the train, and he's like, oh, by the way, that's a left-handed guitar. And then we have the flashback of the guy reaching right. down to right. pull him up with his with his right hand, with his dominant hand, which obviously that. means that he doesn't play a left-handed guitar. Isn't the guy, though, going to have to coerce Liam Neeson into telling him who Prin is anyway? Like, I yeah, but he's that was hoping to fool goal. him into it, I think. So but that if, if Liam Neeson thinks that out, no, but if Liam Neeson thinks that the black guy is Prin, the black guy has said, "What do we do now?" Like he's going to have to at oh. some point say, "Oh, I'm not Prin, by the way. I now need you to tell me who Prin is." Like that's why I thought he like he was going to pull the gun all along. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I guess you're right. That doesn't make any sense. I, it just get it gets at the movie's dumbness at a certain point. Uh, is the movie just uh, doesn't really have any anything interesting as far as solutions for these conundrums and puzzles and mysterious identities. Well, early on, I thought this is a really cool kind of puzzle movie. Right. And I was kind of, this is back when I still felt like I'm on board for this movie because how is this guy going to figure out who this person is out of all of these people? How is he going to deduce this? It should sound impossible. Like how it he, does. It and, does, and, which is why you think, how is he going to do it? Yeah. Yeah, but all he does is like walk up and down this. Yeah. And then look at like punch cards, and none of them. Re- I mean, I don't even punch understand cards. the rules of the punch cards. Yeah, I don't either. I've never seen that before. Is that a New York thing? I think it is a commuter train thing. Like once you're getting out of this city. It's really easy to forge or something. Well, like, we have a listener named uh, Tony Carnavale. Uh, who says that uh, whoever came up with the story has an equally tenuous grasp on human nature and the Metro-North train system. (laughs) Pro tip, in real life, Metro-North doesn't share tracks or stations with the New York City subway, and you don't have to be a New Yorker to know that no one in the Western Hemisphere calls trains, train cars, carriages. Uh, Vera Farmiga's American right. Why didn't she say something? Yeah, carriages. Awesome. I did not catch that. Uh, his poker playing buddy, the guy who deals out the poker playing with the audacious, with the sort of ostentatious gold watch who he borrows the, the phone from, sort of short guy, a British actor named Andy Nyman. I like that guy a lot. Uh, he's in a, a 
Chris Smith movie called Severance. He was in a, a zombie series called Dead Set. Uh, I like Andy Nyman a lot, and Andy Nyman is very British. And I heard, and you know, the British cannot. They a lot of them do great American accents. They can't say the word anything. Andy Nyman, he got halfway there. They normally just go anything. Andy Nyman went anything. Like he's he's doing his New York accent, and he got the any right, but he left the G off of the thing, and it went thin. But I was like, good going, Andy. Andy Nyman, you got your American accent. You did what most Brits can't do, and you said anything instead of anything. Because uh, I also saw Hostels today, um, and Christian Bale, British, he asks at a certain point in his sort of gruff frontier accent if he can get someone anything. <laughs> let me know. Let me know if I can get you anything. <laughs> Come on, Brits, just. There should be like a master class to teach British actors how to say the word anything. To say the word anything. It's where the that line's in all their dialogue and you keep showing it. Like I, did you recognize you that line the, of the, the other poker player? I know. Oh, I meant to look up who he was, Dingus. I totally recognized him. Who was that? It's a guy named Roland Muller, and he was in Atomic Blonde. I knew. I knew it had to be Atomic Blonde. Who was he in Atomic Blonde? He was um, Alexander Bremovich. He's the guy who the guy who kicks the ghetto blaster, the badass police guy who yeah, beats so. up the breakdancer. Yeah. Yeah. Beat, okay. Peter Upper. Uh, he doesn't really do like anything violent. He's a red herring. He's to, he's totally a red herring, but I, I like that he becomes one of the noble people because I I did like him. I, I I was like I I know who that is. I feel like he's in some year. I've seen him in some movie that I didn't hate. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Of course. I just love that guy's face. Yeah, yeah, I do face. too. Yeah. He's also in hij- hijacking, but I don't remember exactly who he was in hijacking. Oh, oh, awesome! Wow. Okay. Good. So the only smart thing Liam Neeson does in this movie is put the GPS on Odin Kirk. Uh, I didn't didn't understand what was going on there. That when the when the he the putting the GPS on Odenkirk, as you put it, makes the snipers target Odenkirk. No, no, that wasn't the GPS. That was so dumb. So the moment you see a shoulder-mounted thing that's lit up blue, it's like so obvious. You're like, okay, he's just going to grab that. And they they specify this is how the sniper knows who. the good guy is. Wouldn't the sniper notice that that switch has happened? No, because they're scuffling. They show it. (laughs) I mean, the thing is, if the movie hadn't been so ham-handed at that point, it could have been this cool idea. Uh, But the fact that it's a a lit-up doodad sticking up on Patrick Wilson's shoulder, you're like, just someone I know. I mean, I'm dumb, and I knew. Okay, Liam Neeson's going to grab that. And I I totally missed him even doing that. I missed him doing that. He takes the camera off of him. Yeah, and then Wait. it shows it in his hand. Because I'm also looking at it going, well, if that's such an important thing, it should probably be affixed in such a manner that it can't be ripped off easily. Yeah, How is he going to get it off? Is he going to say, hey, let me borrow your bulletproof vest? But no, he just pulls it off while they're scuffling. Uh, but the cops don't know. Then what happened? <laughs> oh, and then the cops, when, they, when he's standing clear, the cops know to shoot, not the guy who's lit up, because but he's holding the beacon in, now in his hand. But then they come into the train and still assume he's the he's the No, because then the, the, the everyone is noble and explains, stop, he saved us. Uh, I don't like it. 
Now, the cops <laughs> trust whatever a hostage says. So, Kelly Wan, if you're ever robbing a bank and the cops storm the bank, just pretend you're a hostage. So Do you remember this movie called The Negotiator with Kevin Spacey and Sam Jackson? And then, <laughs> right. and I've actually never at seen it. He tricks him. Oh, okay. All right. No, no, just go ahead. Spoil, please. You, you want to spoil The Negotiator? Please. Come on. I want to know. Okay. Well, the bad guy turns out to be there. The bad guy turns out to be some one of the hostages. And then uh, Spacey pretends to shoot Jackson and then gets the other guy to confess because he's taping him, but the guy doesn't know it. And then when the guy goes outside, like all the cops that have surrounded the house are like looking at him and then Spacey says something. You go, oh, you just, you, you heard what he said and that he's been outed. And then you find out that's how he beat him. But it's. Why couldn't this movie have something smart like that? It's smarter than this. I thought There's that- a pretty cool movie with uh, Jamie Bell called Six Days. And it's the procedural about uh, six days when uh, Iraqi terrorists took an embassy uh, hostage in London, and there was a standoff there. Uh, it was it was after uh, the the Munich Olympics when the, the massacre of the the weightlifting team there. So Britain had an SAS squad trained for this kind of hostage situation, um, you know, because after Munich, different. Countries are like, well, if this happens to us, we've got to have some response team because the poor police in Munich had no idea what to do. So six days is a procedural, and it's actually pretty cool, about the six days that the SAS is first tested in a live hostage situation with their counterterrorism training. Uh, and Jamie Bell is one of the SAS soldiers. Uh, Mark Strong plays a, a, the police sergeant who's told step aside, let the SAS take over. It's a really cool movie. Uh, and it has a really cool moment that's kind of explaining, well, why don't people in that situation just pretend to be hostages when the building gets stormed? Like that's one of the things that you would mm. think, well, I'm just uh, – because that's how, by the way, a Killing Zoe. Like that's how Eric Stoltz uh, gets away at the end of Killing Zoe. Just pretend you're a hostage. Um, but right, that's, six, that's, go ahead. That's what Alan Rickman does as Bill Clay. Right, right, exactly, exactly, uh, but but not at the end when you know when the cops have taken over the building like that. He's trying to trick John McClane, but exactly, right. yeah, is just pretend you're a hostage if you're a bad guy and you can just get out of there because that's what they try to do at the end of six days. Um, well, I'll just tell you now. Uh, there's a cool point where one of the things they have the SAS do is they have them sit there and look at photographs of the hostages and stare yeah. at their faces so that they know not the hostages. Well, the hostages and the 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 perpetrators so that they know their faces so for those six days of standing off you know the jamie bell and the guys are like sitting there just staring at these they almost look like headshots uh of the terrorists because they'll know you know okay when we're in there and it's smoky and we don't know what's going on you know i might have to see a guy's face and decide in a split second is this someone i want to shoot because they might drop their guns and pretend to be hostages Uh, or what if they're wearing masks there's well, something then you know, similar dude. there is in Ar- in Argo. Uh, memorizing face, memorizing uh, photos. Is the well? Is they're putting together all the uh, um, the shredded documents to figure out which of these people are actually before they can get out there. Aren't they putting together photographs? To get well, I think yeah, like it's a it's a dossier of the people they're rescuing. Well, the people that they're trying to get out are the – I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking I, – maybe I don't remember. It just means that I, I thought they were putting together all of those documents to, to piece together 
pictures of the people that they were trying to smuggle out. Well, well, know. certainly, like there, there was a, the issue of, you know, which of the workers in the embassy were were Americans, uh, right? And they didn't, you know, they wanted to hide that from the Iranians. Yeah, I'm thinking also the end of Dark Knight. Where the Joker is just like, I'm going to take all the hostages and bind them in threatening positions like they're holding guns. You know, when Batman gets oh. in there, and, uh, and the Joker is, has made all the hostages look like they're hostiles for Batman's night vision. Like, I like that touch, too. Yeah, yeah. So, the commuter. We did it. We so, did uh, it. I, I just want you guys to know that Chris Markinson wants us to know that he is Spartacus. Um <laughs> And if he had chosen over for this movie, it would be another movie where Vera Farmer could tell somebody on a train what to do, and that would be source code. His mm-hmm. under would be another movie where someone has a bad time on public transportation, Speed 2. Uh, well, well, that's, that's not public I, transportation. You don't think of a cruise ship as, as public <laughs> transportation? transportation? No. <laughs> Is, it? Is that private transport? Yeah. Isn't that private? You're hiring a limo or something. I've not seen use... Speed 2, so I can't speak to the cruise, cruise ship, control? but I can speak to a bus. I mean, because it did make me think. And th- th- this whole idea, it- it's a genre, isn't it? Is there's dead time when you're on public transportation. And I just imagine script writers sitting there thinking, what if something really thrilling happened right now? And coming up with things like speed uh, and source code and now the commuter. Uh, and it's a genre because it's it's also like airline disaster movies where everybody's trapped in a certain area and something terrible happens and they've now got to get along and figure out who they are as they work with each other to survive. You know, that elevator movie Devil, like that's that on a smaller mm-hmm. scale. Uh, it's just when you're out in public being moved around, sometimes you have to sit in a little room or in a long, thin tube with people you don't know. And what if something terrible went wrong? I'm also reminded, and, and I really want to go back and rewatch this after Split. Um, is the train stuff in Unbreakable kind of cool? Like, isn't there <laughs> some? Like, isn't Are you thinking of the happening? No, yeah, it's great. No, no I'm thinking the, of Unbreakable. The unbreakable stuff is it's it's very quick. It's uh, it's chopped up really well, um, and it's much more realistic than this stuff. I mean. Once we get to the end of this and the terrible CG that happens, I oh. I just feel like I'm watching a video game. It's not even worthy of a video game cutscene. But the Unbreakable stuff feels realistic, and to me, because I'm a huge fan of Unbreakable, but it, it feels it feels real and it feels like gut wrenching. Yeah, because I don't remember specifics, but I remember thinking as I watched Commuter. That isn't there some really cool stuff with this idea of being on a commuter train that is part of the setup in Unbreakable? And I didn't yeah. remember the specifics, but I just remember is it is it kind of like slow and eerie or just isn't it weirdly moody or something? There's Maybe this is the weird, whole early part of the movie. No, no, there's this weird there's this weird thing that's going on where he's kind of flirting with somebody, but then he can't, and he, he's I mean it, it 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 sets up a little a little bubble of a world. Yeah, within, that's a good way to put it, Ding. It's little yeah. bubbles of worlds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and this movie can't be bothered to do that. Yeah. And it no could have. No one's even hurt when the train derails. Uh, yeah. that, well, that's another thing, too, isn't it, Kelly Wan, is they have to make a point of explaining, okay, there was no one in those cars. Although we did lose the conductor, didn't we? Did he sacrifice Yeah, I guess himself? we did. Yeah. But otherwise, they really, it's like, okay, 
oh, the air conditioning's only working in this car, so we're going to get everyone in the last car so that we can conveniently wreck and have a super exciting CG uh, train crash with the other five with cars. With no consequences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Guy, with no consequences. That guy has a weird line where he's like, I always knew it would be the train or the people. And well, do you remember the setup or... for that line? No. Early on, he says, because I, I heard that line too, Dingus, and I was puzzling over, and I was like, what? But then I remembered early on he tells um, Liam Neeson – uh, I always say one of these days, either the pe- if, if, if the train doesn't kill me, the people will. Like when oh. somebody has done some assholeish thing and he's sympathizing with Liam Neeson, that's what he says to him. He's always said, if the train doesn't kill me, the people will. So Wait, that later so on, it was both. He oh. says, hey, oh, it wasn't the people, it's the train. Or yeah, but that's his his callback to it later too. on. Yeah. There you go. There you go. That's your commuter script for you, Dingus. <laughs> we we don't really get to see him die because you know, as Kelly Wan says, a twelve year old might wander into the theater yeah. at that point. Oh, and plus he's a good guy. We can we can hint at the terrible fate uh, of the black assassin thrown out into the oncoming train, but the noble kind conductor who sacrifices himself. And I'm not even sure why did he have to sacrifice himself. What was the dilemma? <laughs> like he had to go over there to push a button. Someone or has something. to, he Someone has to, to drive like, it. Lord he had to bring the axe over. Oh, <laughs> I have to bring you this tool that I can't throw. <laughs> or yeah, it was something <laughs> dumb like that, wasn't it? Like okay, like because an axe, by the way, will pry open a chain. I don't know if you guys know this. Just use an axe. I guess I had to just pry it loose. But, but why can't oh, they pry it loose from the other side? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a lot oh, of no, dumb the, things about it. Oh no, the chain is caught. Okay. Yeah. Uh. I brought you this, and I'm going to die for it, but, you know, you go ahead and jump back. Don't mind me. It really was like one of those things where Forrest Whitaker won't get on the the shuttle in Rogue One. (laughs) Can't you just jump uh, off, though? Like, you're better off jumping off before the the crash. That's why I don't know what happens. I don't know if he goes flying up into the sky with all those other tumbling train cars or what, but... uh, well, Liam gets blown onto the other train from the force. Oh, yeah, 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 right, because they're both over there. Explosion. Right, right. It's it looks like – That's right. The physics of the explosion favor Liam Neeson, but not the poor conductor, right? It helps Tom Cruise in the channel, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, uh, maybe we and should see something. that's your third act. That's your third act, yeah. yeah. Maybe we should see something. Maybe we should see something smart next week. Any ideas? Um, How about something with Dingus's favorite actress? Is that still true, Dingus? Is that true? She's my favorite actor. Oh, Dingus, good point. Okay, I, that's me too. Yeah, very, <laughs> very nicely done, Dingus. Uh, all right, well, let's check out the post. Uh, let's go to a Steven Spielberg. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it won't be as dumb as The Commuter, but we'll find out. So join us for that next week. Also, if you have any three-by-threes for your favorite continuity errors, and I've been thinking about this, that's going to be our three-by-three at the end of the it's month. Explain pretty easily, I thought. No, I, people know what it is, Kellywan. It's just uh, we, we know that uh, law enforcement's a little loosey-goosey when you're on patrol. Right. If I do say so. But we've already done, a, we've already done plot holes. Right. This so, is not plot holes. This is continuity errors. Errors in continuity, yeah. And according to Kelly Wan, they can take place over uh, successive movies. Like it can be a, 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 a something – well, you know what that means, yeah. So. Oh, over successive movies. I didn't think about that. Well, that was his whole thing about R2-D2 and the Jets, right, Kelly Wan? Ah. Yeah, yeah the Jets. This yeah, lift. that's the Elton John song. Um, 
member Elton John and John Denver in Kingsman Secret Service <laughs> the Golden Circle yeah that's what I meant how many are there <laughs> Tom's silent with rage silent rage but I get it thanks Tom I had my mic muted why? I was, you didn't want any spoilers about King? No, King? I was, I was, I was droning on about next week's movie, and then realized, oh, they're making fun of me because my, I'm not saying anything because my mic is off. You were saying things. I was saying great things. It was awesome. I was saying wonderful yes. things about Meryl Streep, about journalism, about America. About I'm smart actually really scripts. nervous about next week's movie. Well, you should be. Steven Spielberg. He'll schmaltz up anything, Dingus. What was this last movie? But I'm excited about the other things I'm gonna watch in preparation for it. But I am Kelly nervous. One, I'm really nervous about it. Hold that thought about his last good movie because that's something we'll discuss next week. So everyone, join us for that. Send your three-by-threes of your favorite continuity errors to 3x3 at quarter2three.com. If you see the post, if you've seen it, send in your thoughts. Uh, what'd you think of it? Anything you want us to talk about in it? Uh, get those to us by midnight, January 21st, and send us your three-by-three picks of favorite continuity errors by midnight, January 28th. Those are 2018, of course. Uh, and we'll read your comments on the air. We love when you guys jump in. Thanks to Tony Carnavale and Chris Markinson for uh, joining us this week. So I am Tom Chick. I'll be back next week with Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Moroski. And the inimitable national goddamn treasure, Kelly <laughs> Wand. Oh, yeah, it was Crystal Skull. I remember. Crazy. But that's how it goes Millions of people Living as foes Maybe It's not too late Hey, they should set Speed 3 uh, on a tandem bike. And it's Keanu and uh, Chris Pine, or whatever the second guy is. Jason Patrick? I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. They should make a movie about a serial killer who targets uh, planets. Fine, huh. but I got to pee. Hey, because I watched uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Netflix thinks I'd enjoy Gilmore Girls. All right. See you on the next go-round. Oh, they say that?